The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 146 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Craig and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another really fun episode in store today with a lot of promotions to talk about. And with me to break it all down, my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's up, man? Not too much. Feels like we've been not been too long since we chatted, but uh, I'm glad to be back for another episode and... Yeah, this one's uh, action-packed, full of call-ups, and, you know, it's been so fun. I, this, the best part of the CBA is to see, like, the the willingness to bring up these prospects, and I just don't think we would have seen this kind of impact from from prospects that we would have in under the previous CBA, so it's been awesome. Like, any guy that's r- relatively close has, has pretty much got a chance and got a call, so it's been awesome to see, and uh, we're going to talk about it all. Yeah, it's funny. Somewhere AJ Preller's sitting there with a smirk on his face, like, ha, <laughs> I was doing this before it was popular. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we've seen like obviously all the big names and you guys, you know, in Atlanta bringing up Grissom and Harris straight from double A. Yeah, it's been a really fun year. We've had so many good, not even good, so many great prospects debut this year. Obviously, starting off with J Ron and Witt and Adley and then Harris, and the list goes on and on. And most recently, we got two of the three best prospects in baseball. Obviously, we talked about Corbin Carroll last week. And this week, Gunnar Henderson gets the call. That's how we're going to start the show. But before we do, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at AirCross04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us. And, of course, check out all the other great work from the entire team over at Fantrax HQ. Still pumping on a lot of baseball content. Obviously, fantasy football is gearing up. We got a great basketball team, hockey, you know, NASCAR, EPL, you name it. We got it over at Fantrax HQ. And over on Fantrax in general as well. Like, we got all the sports. I think we have 10 different sports that we offer 
fantasy fantasy platforms for. So anything you want to play, we got it for you over at Fantrex.com. All right, Chris, let's jump right into it. Feet first here. Gunnar Henderson. And obviously we're recording. It is currently about 1020 East Coast here on Wednesday night. Henderson already has gone yard. Went yard off of Tristan McKenzie, who we are also talking about in this episode. It was 107 off the bat, 429 feet. It's an absolute tank job. But, but even more impressive than the home run was when he swung, his batting helmet fell off, and he just got the round the bases for his first career home run, first career hit with that the flowing locks, that lettuce just flowing in the breeze. It was a great thing to see. And obviously, like I said, one of the top prospects in all of baseball. He already came into the year, I think, what? What do you think he was beginning of the year for the most part, Chris? Like 75-ish range probably? Probably. I can uh, look it up because I've got kind of tracked where, like, each update where he's been ranked. Man, that was awesome. Get that boy a chin strap, though, because uh, he <laughs> needs it. But, you know, that was fun to see the hair flying around. Yeah, I had him 70 overall to begin the season, okay. actually. So, yeah. And now, basically, everywhere you look, top five. Some have him number one overall, but at least top five. And you look at what he's done this year, easy to see why. And 112 games, 503 plate appearances between Double A Eastern League and the Triple A International League. Combined the slash 297, 416, 531, 24 doubles, seven triples, 19 home runs, 22 steals, only caught three times, 79 walks to 116 strikeouts. That is a 15.7% walk rate and a 23.1% strikeout rate. Man, Chris, there's a lot of excitement around Gunnar Henderson, rightfully so. He's a guy that I think could be, you know, I, I hate comps, but Xander Bogarts with more speed kind of comes to mind here with Gunnar Henderson for me. I think he's got to hit for high average, get on, on base. He'll probably have a better OBP uh, than Xander does even, and even add a little bit of speed. And Xander's been a very, very good player for a very long time now. So that just shows how good this kid is, but you know, how good do you think he can be? Do you think he's a guy that he can, you know, be a top 20, top 25 dynasty guy before too long here? Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And he's got all the tools that you want to see to really be a stud fantasy type hitter. And yeah, I questioned like what kind of, uh, how, how would he transition? And obviously it's not been a, you know, it was no question. He had a home run first game and smoked it. The thing about Gunner, he, he just does so many things well. He doesn't chase often at all. Like his swing decisions are are really good, which help with the high contact rate that he's going to run. And he has run in the minor leagues. He he chasing you know less than twenty percent of the time in the minor leagues this year, which is you know very very impressive. Probably Corbin Carroll might be one of the only ones that is less. And from that standpoint, like his contact's been solid and his EVs have been pretty much off the charts. It's pretty well-rounded skill set. He's very athletic and he does provide the nice defensive versatility and he can play, you know, all those infield spots, which is pretty impressive. So it's just going to be a matter of time before he really just breaks out the major league level. He's been dominating in the minors and we're already seeing, I mean, the home run in the first game is huge. So he could be one that just kind of takes the success and runs with it. Seems like a, just a down to earth guy. You watch his video when they told him he got called up, just like 
you know, you could tell like just good dude, honored to be where he is and excited for the opportunity to play professional baseball in the major leagues. So I expect Gunner to hit for good average, you know, probably similar to Xander, I'd say. And then there could be more power. I think there is more power in the profile, actually, and then he provides the speed as well. So, yeah, we're looking at a potential top 20 dynasty guy. Yeah, I think he's more toolsy, you know, more categorical Jews, or at least in the power speed the department than Xander. I said Xander's been a very good for a very long time. So that's high praise right there coming from a Red Sox fan to say that Henderson could be better than Xander Bogarts. I don't think he's going to be a fantasy first rounder, but maybe a second rounder annually. And it's a very, very high floor with him. One of the highest floors in the minor leagues right now. So much good stuff. So yeah, I think he's going to be, uh, he's already, I, I have Corbin Carroll, I think around 40 overall my rankings, I think. Henderson will probably be, yeah, I'd say put him around 60 or so. Uh, probably a bit higher for you, though, right, with OBP focused? All right, the OBP skills are really good, as I mentioned. The walk rates are going to be high just because his swing decisions are so good. He just controls the strike zone very well. So, yeah, I mean, Carroll is already pushing top 30 on my updated dynasty. And let's see, I'm, I've got – let's see where I've got Gunner because I've been working on the dynasty rankings – Recently, let me pull up the spreadsheet if it'll load. Come on, baby. Um, Gunner is control F, <laughs> right? Are you at where are you at? I'm, I'm gonna say uh, you're gonna have him 53, uh, 55. Ah, close. that's close. close. Yep, <laughs> actually, well, yeah. I've got him one spot ahead of Xander, which is interesting. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, and I think I think that's still you could probably I mean maybe you won't get a huge second piece, but if you're looking to move on from Xander, if you have him, get a little younger. Not that Xander's old. I think what Xander, I think Xander's 29 right now. Yeah, you could probably trade him for a gunner and maybe get you know another top yeah 150 dynasty player or so. I think that's I think definitely so. yeah I think it's definitely possible. So yeah, There's a lot of name value with Gunner. Absolutely, there is, and also at the same time they're bringing up DL Hall as well. We talked about him recently. They've been transitioning him to the bullpen. I wonder if they just leave him there. It's it's just it's so the stuff we talked about time and time again. The stuff is so damn nasty, but he just can't locate it. It's maybe shorter stints. Stuff will play up. Like stuff's already nasty as in a starting capacity. Put him in shorter stints, man. It's gonna be like he could we could be looking at another Josh Hader type, but obviously Hader's been a bit down lately. We'll talk about him later on the show, actually. But, yeah, this could be you know one of the best relievers in baseball here in the not-too-distant future. I think so, I, and I really do feel like he probably is a reliever long-term, whether they give him another chance to start or not. I don't know, but the stuff certainly plays up in the bullpen role. I don't think he's got the command to, to be a starter long-term, at least, and – like they could use another you know beast in the back in that bullpen. Like Felix Bautista has been awesome, but you know, bring in DL Hall too. And I think they're, they're really building something like the Orioles talent level throughout their system is just absolutely insane. So I think people will be disappointed if Hall doesn't stick as a starter, but I think he's going to be better as a reliever. And it kind of reminds me of like the Garrett crochet thing where they intend for him to come back as a starter, but he never really does. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And this, oddly enough, might open up a good buying opportunity on, on DL Hall. Maybe if whoever has him in your dynasty league is, you know, feeling that disappointment where, ah, oh, he might not be a starter, you know, kind of 
just you know kick the tires, see uh, see what they're thinking, and maybe you can get DL Hall for you know a little bit of a discount right now if the, the that person's disappointed with you know them maybe not starting. So you can swoop in and, and get a, a really good reliever. That's a pretty solid move there. All right, moving over to Houston here, another two big name, not quite as big as Gunnar Henderson, but Yander Diaz, Hunter Brown getting the call up to Houston. And I kind of it makes me question why they, you know, obviously Christian Vasquez is a, is a you know good catcher. You know, there's a lot of good things that don't always show up in the box score, but you know they had Yander Diaz kind of in their back pocket. So I kind of wonder why they did go out uh, and get a Christian Vasquez. But Yander Diaz is legit. He I tweeted out the other day. He's top 100 for me easily. You know, I'm I must start being more aggressive with these guys. Like I tweeted out as well that it wouldn't surprise me if you know guys like him. Andy Rodriguez, Bo Naylor ended up as better fantasy assets than like a Gabriel Moreno, who is obviously a great hit tool, but hasn't really shown the game power yet. So you know, I might be ranking some of these guys ahead of Moreno, you know, kind of spoiler alert there, but they'll at least be a lot closer than people think, maybe even ahead of some of these names, uh, probably Andy Rodriguez if I want one of them. But yeah, Yander Diaz here, look at what he's done between AA and AAA this year. Combined to hit 306, 356, 542, 22 doubles, 25 home runs, 34 walks to 79 strikeouts and 486 plate appearances. Do you think there's a legit, you know, top 10 catcher upside for fantasy here, Chris? It's possible. I think when you combine the power and the contact skills, you certainly get that. And we saw it start coming out last year. It was just the trade still baffles me that he was traded to Houston for nearly nothing. Let's see what because let's see what the trade was because I, I remember at the time of the trade I was like, you know, like what? Like why would they do this? Um, I don't even remember what the trade was, but anyway, Diaz combines the contact and power that you want to see. His contact rates have been well above average this year, and the the powers really good too like his 90th percentile ev would would rank you know very high among major leaguers at you know above 106 which is pretty impressive so the power certainly there i think he can stick behind the plate even though we've seen him see some time at in first base in the corner spots in the outfield so he can kind of play all over which will be interesting to see how houston does decide to use him but i think the skills are pretty tantalizing here where you look and He's just probably going to fly under the radar for a lot of his career because he's going to produce like you know, solid OBPs, good average, and and really good power. All right, I I just found out who the trade was. Who uh, the major leaguer who mm-hmm. was a kind of a hyped up player in preseason because of his speed that has just completely fallen oh, flat on his face. Oh, it was Miles Straw. Wasn't it? Yep, yeah. Yander <laughs> Diaz came back in the Miles Straw trade. I just saw that Miles Straw. I, I forget like what the p- time period was, whether it was like last thirty or, or whatever. Had like the lowest OPS over like a month, like all time. It was a uh, uh, two like two fifty OPS. Mm-hmm. That's OPS, aka on base plus slugging to have two fifty yeah. something. That's just insane. Uh, I, I, how could you even? I I don't even, even fathom how you can be that bad. But but we're not talking Miles Straw. But yeah, Yaner right. Diaz, man. Yeah, the the bat is legit. It's almost like. Look at going back to comparing him to like a Gabriel Moreno. Would you rather have 60 hit, 45 game power, or do you want 55 and 55? I want 55 and 55, honestly. Like, I think he's going to provide more run production, more power. Uh, definitely, and, and all those things added up, I think, are 
probably a bigger advantage than, you know, the batting average advantage that Moreno could have. So you look at Houston, great ballpark for, for Yander Diaz to hit in. He's a, he's a righty bat as well. Obviously that the, the Crawford box is out there. A lot to like with, with Yander Diaz. I think he's still a bit underrated. Yeah, he is. And if even if you give Gabriel Moreno 10 points of batting average, which is probably reasonable given yep. you know, Diaz's contact skills, like, like you near Diaz is going to just lap him in power, I think, at this point from what we've seen and how all the metrics kind of point out. So, yeah, to me, it's kind of crazy to I, to think that, like, for so long we had Moreno so high and ahead of him. But I think it's time that we kind of flip that script and Diaz is probably the better fantasy catcher as of right now. Yeah, so I'm I'm probably putting Andy ahead of, of Moreno. I'm probably putting Yander ahead, and maybe even Bo Naylor. And I, I think kind of similar uh, thought like the the Xander thing, where you can trade away a Moreno, get one of these guys, and probably still get another little piece, like, like a top two hundred guy or something like that, thrown in just because of the name value that Moreno has that these guys don't quite have. So yeah, Yander Diaz absolutely legit, and the other name Hunter Brown, another name that's is legit and getting kind of underrated as well. Okay. You know, last year, 404 ERA this year, I uh, spent the entire year in AAA in the PCL. And this is the PCL again, the hitter friendly PCL 255 ERA across 106 innings, 134 strikeouts to 45 walks, 1.09 whip. So that is calculate that out. Strikeout rate, 31.5%. But, you know, the one little red flag here, walk rate was also 10.5% as well. You got big fastball, big curveball, good slider as well. But command and control has been an issue, not quite as much as it has been with DL Hall. But still, it's just to the point where I want to see it drop, but it's not to the point where I think it's a keep him from being a starter long-term. And again, you look at Houston doesn't get enough love for how good they've been from a player development standpoint, because you look at, you know, a lot of these guys they have on their team are all homegrown, both in the lineup and in their rotation and a good amount of them. Yeah. They had some big name prospects, obviously, but a good amount of them were guys that, you know, were kind of you know not big names, you know, like Luis Garcia was never a, a big name. Framber Valdez was never a big game. Uh, big name, excuse me, guys like that. And same thing with Hunter Brown kind of is now becoming a big name. Same with the inner Diaz, but they do so well, both sides of the ball with player development. So, you know, I'm starting to like kind of factor that into my rankings and start bumping these, you know, at least show more confidence when I rank some of these Houston guys. And yeah, Hunter Brown, I think he is a, uh, I think he's a top 10. I've, I've moved him into my top 10 pitching prospects right now. Overall, I just bumped him up to 60 overall. And so for pitching prospects, that is behind as I go up the list. That's actually a nice little jump up. But uh, then I got Gavin Williams, Andrew Painter, Taj Bradley, Kyle Harrison, Tiedemann, Perez, Espino, and G-Rod. So, yeah, he's my number, I think that's number nine pitching prospect overall. Chris, what are your thoughts on Hunter Brown? How high do you have him in your rankings? Probably not high enough. He's been really good. And, you know, for someone that's, pretty reliant on the fastball. It's a, a really good fastball at that. Got pretty good I mean, induced vertical break on it. He gets a good whiff rate on it, throws it for strikes fairly often. He mixes in a slider and a curve about 20 plus percent of the time as well. It'd be interesting to see him use the changeup a bit more because I do think the changeup is kind of an underrated pitch that he has in the arsenal that he just doesn't throw that often. But 
you look at his whiff rates and he's got you know three pitches with a 30%, sorry, three pitches, yeah, three pitches with a 30% or higher whiff rate. The curve actually comes in at 27%, the slider at 37. So, you know, really good stuff there. And overall, I think it's just a well-rounded pitcher that just doesn't really get the love he deserves and doesn't get talked about in the same circles of other top pitching prospects. Kind of very similar to Diaz that we talked about where like he produces and everything backs it up, but it's just not getting the love that he deserves. So I think he's certainly worthy of that bump that you talked about of where you had him. Yeah, it's like I, I've kind of a little hesitant to bump him up as high as as this, but yeah, I think I think the time is now. I think he's definitely a top ten pitching project in this game, and and the number ten for reference is Tink Hans right now. So uh, yeah, definitely. I, I didn't realize I had him that high. Um, I thought I had him a couple. I thought I had a few more in the middle here, but no, Mick Abel's a few below, Max Myers a few below. Yep, Tink Hans is no. Oh no, Brian Bayo is in there as well. So I think Tink Hans is eleven for me, but. I think Bayo is graduating sometime soon, at least by the end of the year. So he'll probably fall off. But yeah, very, I said both Yander Diaz, Hunter Brown definitely are guys to target in dynasty leagues right now. Going out west, a couple, uh, couple of nice call ups in the NLS. Miguel Vargas from the Dodgers and Michael Talia for the Colorado Rockies. You know, oddly enough, I think the better bet for the rest of this year is probably Michael Talia just because I, I don't know where. Like nothing's really changed. Obviously, last time Vargas got the call, it was when uh, Turner went on the IL, and then he came back fairly soon, and they demoted Vargas, even though he played fairly well in his little cup of coffee. But there's not really a spot for him. You know, he can play both corners, you know, a little outfield as well. But you still got, you know, they got Muncie over there, they got Bellinger, they got Freeman. You know, the outfield's not that, you know, there's not an open spot out there as well. So maybe he gets, you know what three starts a week chris i don't know do you, do you see any obviously we we both love Miguel vargas you have him top 10 i'm i have him, i think a couple spots outside of my top 10 so the long-term value obviously is there do you see any immediate value for redraft leagues it's tough i just don't see him getting the chance to play every day which is brutal because the talent yeah. level is certainly there and you know, from a four-category standpoint, like he's going to be one of the better producers long-term, I think. And we've we've really seen that, you know, in the minor leagues where you know, Vargas is just absolutely dominant. And he's really come on even stronger as of recent. So just across the board, he does everything you want him to do, like good, great contact skills, good power as well. But – I just don't think they're going to play him regularly, which just really sucks. So I agree. I'd go with, with Tolia for um, rest of season, at least he can crush baseballs. And he had a home run tonight off Kenley Jansen in his first game. He had another hit as well. Another single up the middle, but man, we saw him hit some, some moon shots in the AFL last year. And you saw him earlier this year. You said he hit the longest ball you'd ever seen. It was foul, but he said it went a mile. So at the, least <laughs> the biggest question with him is like, where does the contact rate and strikeouts lie? And if he can get that under control, which I think he can, like he's really taken a step forward in, in a small stint in triple a, like the chase rate is manageable and you, the strikeout rate, I think can be okay. And the course is going to give him a nice Babbitt boost. Like I think Michael Tolley is a little underrated for dynasty right now. I do too. I, I definitely do as well. Like I said, and, I, I think I'm a good luck charm for Michael Tolia. I was, it was it was funny. Uh, I was at a game uh, when when uh, Hartford was here earlier on in the year, 
Uh, one of my buddies came with me, and I was literally telling him as Tully steps to the planet, and I started getting certain get my uh, some video on him. I was like, "Hey, I'm a good luck charm for Tully. I think I've seen him go yard like four times in six games." And right, very next pitch, he hits a f- deep fly ball. He was caught the warning track. Then he hit a f- uh, home run later that game. So you told you uh, the raw power. Like this is a guy that's easy thirty homer power. And if you find the video, I posted on Twitter of that. You know, we have both have videos of him hitting home runs and that longest foul ball I've ever seen. I got video of that as well. Put that on Twitter. It's easy power. Like he's not swing. He's not swinging out of his shoes. It is easy power. Easy thirty home run power. And you get that Coors Field Babbitt boost there. And yeah, seeing him cut that K rate a little bit of late, you know, small sample size, but that's definitely encouraging as well. Even if he's just 240, 250, I think that comes with 30 plus home runs. And it should be a middle of the order run producer as well. And he's also a little bit of a better athlete than people give him credit for uh, as well. So I don't, obviously, I'm not saying he's going to have, a, you know, a ton of stolen bases, but he had seven this year. In 114 games, 10 last year. He runs a little bit. Maybe he adds like five in. Just a little something, something there with that power. But this is easy 30 homer power. And, you know, a little bit more valuable in OBP format. He's a 342 career minor league OBP. Walk rates over 10, well over 10% uh, each of the last two years in the minor leagues after he got drafted uh, in 2020. So, uh, 2019, excuse me. But yeah, definitely, I definitely like Tully. I think he's definitely underrated as well. I will definitely agree with you there. Next on the list here, yeah, not quite as a, a big name here. We go over to the a pitching side of things again with the Oakland Athletics. Ken Waldachuk, who they acquired in the, uh, the Frankie Montas trade here at the deadline. And you know, Waldachuk is a guy that came out of the gates this year, just absolutely you know, destroying, carving up the AA Eastern League. But then he you know, kind of ran into you know, a little bit of a brick wall here you know, kind of lost some of that production middle of the season. But overall, look, look at the stat line between double-A and triple-A. Still very good. 21 starts, 95 innings, 284 ERA, 116 whip, 137 strikeouts to 36 walks in 95 innings. So, you know, walk rates, you know, right around 9%. K rates over 30%. Do you – what are your thoughts on, on Waldachuk here long-term? I think there's a pretty wide range of – kind of opinions on him. I'm kind of like, you know, high strikeout SP4. I'm not like willing to go like mid-rotation arm on him, but solid arm, you know, Oakland's going to be a good place to pitch. I mean, he won't get a lot of wins in Oakland, obviously, because they suck, but great ballpark to pitch in, and I think it's going to continue to be a, a pretty solid arm. Yeah, I think so. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the results have been fine since he was traded to Oakland. Obviously, Oakland is not a team that really anybody wants to be on right now, but it does give you a good home ballpark for pitchers and he's major league ready. I think we saw that he's been in triple a most of this year. He had just uh, 28 innings in double a before getting the promotion. So Walter Chuck is someone who I think is ready. I've been interested to see like his walk rate has dropped drastically since being traded is a smaller sample of just 18 and two thirds innings, but to see him tick down from 11.2% in AAA with New York to 3.8%, like that's pretty significant even in the small sample. So if that sticks, like you certainly have to like what you see. Fastball is really good. The changeup is one of the better changeups in the minors. I think he's a good arm, and as a lefty, I think he gets a little underrated, but I do like Ken Waldachuk. With all these recent prospects being promoted, Chris, you know, 
Are there any more yet you're looking to stash this year? Obviously, I think the two kind of big names left are probably Josh Young and Tristan Costas. And you wrote an article recently over on Fantasy Pros about this as well. You know, obviously at this point, you're just looking for big names here or guys that can provide immediate production, obviously. Any other names outside of Jung and Cassis that you're really looking forward to, or is that about it for you? Yeah, that's really the big ones. And, you know, I've been told that Costas isn't coming up this year unless something drastically changes as far as like an injury. So I'm still on the fence because there's been rumors, like there's been some speculation like over the last day, and that was last weekend that I was told that. So I'm in a weird spot of what to do with him. Alex Cora did say tonight there is a chance that he gets a call. So, like, take that as you will. But a chance could mean good or no, not at all. So, I don't know. Costas is more than ready. Josh Young's ready. We'll see. I, I just really don't know. Like, I feel like if they were getting the call, they would have, like, followed the other paths of the, bringing him up to the taxi squad like we've seen. But I do think tomorrow we may see a couple floodgates of – uh prospects coming up in as far as who like those are the big names but other than that it's it's really tough to really find anybody to get excited about though there, there are prospects all the time that come up and perform like they're going to be better than advertised and so that could be the case um i mean my top three to stash this week were gunner who got the call and this was post carol josh young and miguel vargas with costas coming in behind hayden wesneski's a candidate to get some starts in chicago he's been um much better. His first two starts were really bad since he get when he got traded to Chicago, but he's been significantly better. I think Matt Mervis could get the call as well and play some first base for the Cubs. Like he's been really under the radar. So those could be interesting. But yeah, I think we're kind of running low on guys to be excited about getting the call. Yeah. And first okay, before I talk about Cassis here real quick, you know, whenever I see the name Matt Mervis, for some reason my mind goes to Matt Merton. Does anybody remember Matt Merton? I got another guy that played for the Cubs. And it was actually, it was more so like a, he had one full year. And then he's mostly a, a you know fourth outfielder after that, had some injuries. He was out of baseball 2009 at age of 27. But I don't know why my mind goes to Matt Merton for some reason. And I didn't realize he's been out of baseball for 13 years now. So <laughs> this made me feel old. I didn't think it was that long ago. But yeah, randomly, this goes, my mind goes to Matt Merton. So I bet you that's a name that uh, all the listeners haven't heard about in a hot minute there since he retired 13 years ago. But going over to Tristan Casas now, he absolutely should get the call up. I'm sorry. I, I will go into a heated discussion with anybody that thinks otherwise. What Whether it's whether you hear otherwise, fine. But whether you think otherwise, he is absolutely ready. And why why not? At this point, you've seen, you know, they're bringing up guys to try to keep them under the, you know, the 130 at bat threshold. You can certainly do that uh, throughout the season, manage, manage the workload here. But why not? He has shown he's ready. He's an advanced bat. The Red Sox aren't going anywhere this year. There's, I think they have like a 1.2% chance of making the postseason, and that's even too high. There's no way they make the postseason here. Look at the team they, they have right now. Everyone's kind of checked out from the looks of it watching this team over the last handful of weeks. Why not? You play on Bobby Dahlbeck, Eric, Eric Hosmer. You, you're not even really paying actually this year because San Diego's you know eating up all that. And Frenchy Cordero, like, why keep running those guys out that you know what you have? Why not give Casas a chance to get you know 30, 35 games, a hundred or so at bats under his belt? Then you bring him in next year. He's your you're starting first baseman. 
on opening day and let him get that little bit of exposure, get his feet wet. I'm all about that. And they have no reason not to. So he's he's better than anybody they have right now. So he absolutely should, whether he does or not. We'll see. I think they'd be absolutely idiotic if they don't call him up. Um, I hope they do, and I hope these reports that that you know you've heard are you know just just that reports. I hope they do give him the call. But man, it, it'd be a real disappointment if, if they didn't give him the call. So I'm hoping, but Josh Young should be up. I think he's probably the higher percent chance, and yeah, he's been absolutely mashing. You know, hitting dingers. It's good to see that power coming back. That was kind of what I was wondering. Where's the power at after the shoulder surgery? It's back. So no, uh, no worries there. But yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of fun names getting the call this week, and hopefully we get a, a few more here uh, on on September first today. When you listen to this, probably get a handful more as well. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back. MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Let's move over to the MLB side of things right now. And let's start with Luis Roberts from the Chicago White Sox. You know, I looked earlier. He's played 12 of Chicago's 28 games in the month of August, and that's without an IL stint. So first off, that's just incredibly irritating. Uh, not, not to be able to play him on the IL, pick up somebody to fill a spot, but... We got to start wondering, you know, is it time to really ding him in dynasty rankings because of it? You know, obviously, when he's been on the me, when he's been on the field, he's been very good. Look at this year, 378 plate appearances, hitting 300, 12 home runs, 11 steals, 56 RBI, 54 runs scored, 451 slug. He's cut the K rate down to 18.3%. So has some pretty good quality of contact metrics as well. But if you can't stay on the field, like we're, we're digging other guys for this, you know, he's a top 15 talent, no doubt. Absolutely top 50, maybe even top 10 talent in baseball. He's still only 25 years old, got all the physical tools and the speed that you go on. Even though his sprint speed is down a bit this year. And it's actually turned it down the last couple of years, but he's still got 11 steals. Is it time to ding him a bit, Chris? Like, where do you think he's going to be in your next update? Is he still top 25? Is he out of it? Where's he at for you? He's going to be a tough one to rank. He's going to be, I mean, on, on talent alone, like you mentioned, he should be top 15. Currently slotted in at 24. He's so tough because injuries do matter. Despite the talent level, injuries certainly matter. If you can't stay on the field, you can't produce. So Robert's one that I have no clue. Like, would I take Corbin Carroll over him at this point? Probably. So that means I need to adjust my rankings. I have Carroll 26. So I think I'd take a shot on Carroll over Robert at this point. But I think that back end of the 20s, like around 30 overall, is a pretty comfortable spot just given some of the names I'm looking at there. So it's tough because on talent alone, like he's he's up there. But, you know, I, I remember a 
while ago, I put out the question of uh, Michael Harris versus Elise Robert and Dynasty. And everybody was kind of crapping on it and the Harris wasn't close. But I think Harris is closer than people think just because Harris can stay on the field and he's providing, you know, all categories and he's an elite in the field. So I don't know. It's an interesting discussion to try to figure out what to do with Luis Robert. If you own him in a dynasty, you probably just need to hold on to him. I wouldn't sell low on him. But if he has a super hot streak, it may be one of those things where you look to sell him just knowing that he struggles to stay healthy. So I would potentially buy low if the cost is right. But if you own him, you have to to hold him, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I'm still going to have him top 25. He was kind of hovering in that 14, 15 range for me. He's probably going to be probably right around where you have him now. outside my top 20, but I'm hoping he can get right. Like, stay on the field. Maybe, you know, maybe the rest of this year, is probably, this is probably what it's going to be, right? Hopefully he can get healthy in the offseason. And I just want to see this one, give me one full year next year on Luis Robert. See what he can do. How, can the average stick up there? Can the power stick up there? Is he still running as much? He could he could put it another 30 20 year next year with a 280 plus average. Like he's got fantasy first round potential. Like we've seen that, you know, multiple times. It's just kind of those multiple times are spread out a bit, which is the issue, right? It's the issue why we're all irritated. I can't put him on my IL. I have a lot of shares of Robert. Same thing with Jordan. Jordan hasn't played in like five days. It's so infuriating. But yeah, I think it is time to drop him a little bit. Not a ton, but just a bit here in Dynasty rankings. But going over to someone that is rising up Dynasty rankings in a hurry. You know, I don't know if I have him top 100 or anything like that, but Nathaniel Lowe from the Rangers has just quietly put together a very good year, especially of late, and it's not really getting talked about as much as he probably should. Overall in the year, he's hitting 301, 352 OBP, 498 slug, 22 home runs, 66 RBIs, and 60 runs scored in 509 plate appearances. If you look at of late, since the All-Star break, 165 plate appearances, 10 home runs, 366, 412, 641 slash line. You know, I look at a lot of the quality of contact this year is very good. 9.6% barrel rate, 44.1% hard hit rate. And he's always been there, you know, uh, always had good quality of contact metrics. The K rate has dropped down to 23%. Walk rate's been cut in half this year, but hey, he's hitting 301. You'll, you'll take that. Where do you see low rising in your rankings, Chris? Like he's still only 27 years old, you know, prime of his career. You know, he's probably right in it right now. Is he top 100 for you, or where does he fall in your rankings? He probably pushes it, and I think the biggest question mark with low is the ability to lift the ball. And he's done that more this year. He's upped his line drive rate up to fly ball rate. The power's there as well. So that's obviously been really impressive to see. He's one of the more quiet 300 hitters this year. And there's the power, as you mentioned, he's on pace to potentially push close to, to 30. I don't know if he gets to 30, but 25 plus with a 300 average is highly underrated in my opinion. So when you look at him and you see this type output, it's hard to argue against it. So he's been absolutely stellar and it's looking even since the all-star break, he's lowered the ground ball rate even more and up the line drive and fly ball rate, which has certainly helped him get to more of that power. But yes, Lowe is quietly putting together a good season. 193 WRC plus since the all-star break. Pretty good. 301 average. Like nobody's talking about this. Like, 
it's it's kind of crazy to me. And Texas lineup is only going to get better. That infield is going to be really good next year with Lowe, yeah. Simeon, uh, Seager, and Young. That's going to be a really good team, and maybe they look to add some more. That lineup could be better, and you see those counting stats tick up even more from a run and RBI standpoint. Man, Lowe's tough to rank, but like, who would you rather have, him or Josh Bell? That's tough. I lean Bell, but it's, it's close. Yeah, I mean, I probably have Bell ranked higher, but Lowe's had a better season. So, like, and Lowe's younger. I'm just trying to, like, I'm trying to justify my own ranking, I guess, because yeah, I've got Bell top 100 right now. That is true. And how much? So Lowe is 27. Bell is, I don't think he's that much older. I'm going to say 29. 30, okay. Uh, 30. Yeah, he he started off really hot. He's kind of uh, kind of fizzled out a bit of late, but and I'm I'm not even the biggest Josh Bell guy either. Man, yeah. may, maybe maybe not. I don't know. Bell Bell is good. He's he's good. It's just he's more like real life good. Still good yeah. for fantasy, but yeah, he's never really had like you know he's never really wowed you in fantasy. He had that one year. In 20, uh, 2019, he had 37 home runs, 116 RBI. But outside of that, it's been, you know, it's been good, but not a great production. And he's, he's only hitting 185 in 26 games since going over to San Diego. So that hasn't really worked out so far for them. But right. maybe it is low at this point. It's, it's funny because, like, all times when you're looking at dynasty rankings, you don't uh, necessarily look like, all right, who do I have, this guy or this guy? And so, yeah, it's good, though, when these conversations come up, like, hey, what do I really have Josh Bell higher? I gotta right. look at that. He's got good metrics and all, but yeah, but he's three years older now. Maybe I do. I got. I got. Bell is gonna drop down outside my top one hundred now. Yeah, maybe low moves ahead of him. That's they're gonna be close. We'll see. Uh, see how it all shakes out. My next update, which will be aiming for next Wednesday on the seventh, sixth, whatever it is, Wednesday of next week. That's what I'm aiming for. And prospects on Monday. So. A lot of fun stuff coming up here, and then we'll do FYPD after the season. We'll see what the season ends for these guys, and then we'll do our, our update and put that out as well. So, yeah, maybe I do have Nate Lowe higher. Or, sorry, <laughs> Nathaniel Lowe. Don't, don't call, call him call Nate. Me Nate. Nathaniel, don't call me Nate Lowe. Yeah, definitely a very quietly good year. Another guy that kind of fits under that quiet, good season here. Going over to the uh, pitching side of things here up in Cleveland. Sticks McKenzie. He's not a guy that I was never like the highest on just because like the stuff is there. He's got good stuff, but I didn't think he could stay healthy. And he didn't he had back issues, very, very, very slight frame. Like he looks like you know, he's more slight than Chris Sale. But this year he has really, really impressed me. You know, he's dropped the walk rate down 6.5%. And he sacrificed a little bit of that K upside, but 24.9%, still very good. 317, or excuse me, 318 ERA in 152 and two-thirds innings with a 097 whip. And he's got the good curveball, the good slider. You know, slider's been not quite as good this year as, as it was last year, which was very, very good last year. Equally as good as the curveball. Curveball has stayed as good as it was last year. Slider stripped off a little bit, but you know, fastball doesn't wow you with the velocity, 92-4, but he locates it very, very well. You know, it Hitters are only hitting 199 off of it with a 372 slug. Curveballs 122 batting average against 209 slug 448 whiff rate. The numbers are there. Is he a guy that we're just 
undervaluing like where should he where do you think he should be ranked in terms of starting pitchers for dynasty do you think he's trying to think top 30 top 40 what do do you think he should be put he's a tough one because he had his moments last year too that he looked really good and we question the durability and here he is he's approaching 150 innings he could easily get to 180 like we had this concerns like could he hold up over a full season he's absolutely doing that you know, just turned 25. I think you know the best is probably still ahead of him. He's got a sub one whip, which is really impressive. Strikeout rate at 25%, fine. You can live with it, but the walk rates also improved significantly this year. Man, McKenzie's one that I think is underrated. Another, I mean, he did allow that home run to Gunner tonight, but seven Ks over five innings, just two walks, two earned runs. So another good start from him. I think he needs to be in the conversation to be bumping up boards even more than he is. So I think he's a quiet one you could go out and get. Like him and Nate Lowe, Nathaniel Lowe, you could go out and get pretty cheap if you could stop trades in your dynasty league right now because I don't think people are realizing how good they've been. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a, I've always been critical of him, like not because of the stuff, it's because of their ability, but he's shown that he can stay healthy over a full season. So I've definitely been – slowly moving him up my rankings, both for redraft and dynasty. And he'll continue to move up with, if he keeps pitching this way, that's for sure. Another one here, kind of the theme of uh, this second half of the show for Valdez, you know, he's another guy that I've always, I fully liked enough. He, I thought he was, he was a solid arm, but never thought of him as being anything more than that. But this year he's been more than that. 25 games started. He has 22 quality starts in a row. Actually the last 22 quality starts, our last 22 starts, all quality starts. That is the second longest streak. Uh, recently, only Jacob DeGrom had more a couple of years ago when he had 24 in a row. So, you know, the key rate is still kind of middle of the road, 22.6. He's dropped the walk rate down to 8.4%, 263 ERA, 112 whip. So, again, he, he's more of like the super high floor type, but those guys are valuable as well. Maybe they don't get quite as much love in Dynasty Leagues as they should, but you think it's time that we give him that love, Chris? Probably so. And I think we've been hesitant for so long because you look and he's just not a good K rate guy. And the walk rate is, you know, higher than you'd like for someone that doesn't strike out as many guys. 10.8% swinging strike rate is improved. He's, he's a bizarre pitcher, but he eats innings. He's going to put low ratios. I mean, we're looking at somebody who over the last two years has nearly 300 innings, 298 and two-thirds innings, and he has a sub-three ERA at 2.86 and a 1.18 whip. And you just can't argue with what he's done. I mean, on the counter of the not getting the strikeouts, he he counters it by putting the ball on the ground so much. I mean, last year he had a 70.3% ground ball rate, which is just unheard of and this year he's kind of backed that up with a a 67 percent ground ball rate so he gets the ball on the ground enough to be effective despite the lower strikeout rate now he's never going to be an ace because of the strikeouts but i think he can be a really good arm and i think he should be valued as such like if you're going to talk about like kyle wright like i think you should talk about uh framer valdez in a similar you light in my opinion yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I think he still has the perceived value lower than Kyle Wright right now. So definitely a great get in dynasty leagues for sure. I, I wonder if I want to see him throw the curveball a bit more. Now, and one other thing too, he's up to sinker velocity from ninety two five to ninety four this year, and still has a sixty eight 
12.3% ground ball rate this year, only a 10.7% fly ball rate. You just cannot hit the ball in the air off of him. Maybe if he gets that curveball usage rate up a little bit more here, maybe he ditches the cutter or something. I don't know. I don't know what it would be in lieu of, but maybe you get a little more, maybe 24, 25% upset to like 40% usage rate or something like that. It was 31% last year, about 28% this year. We'll see. But yeah, definitely one of the higher floor pitchers in all of baseball right now. So you got to give him, got to give him the love that he's due. All right, let's close out the show with a closer and one that's been, man, went from being one of the game's elite earlier in the year to he was dropped in a lot of leagues, uh, redraft leagues more so than dynasty, obviously. But Josh Hader, you know, tale of two seasons, right? Look at overall, it was 424 ERA. And that's after in April, nine and a third, no runs. May, seven and a third, no runs. And then he had three earned runs in eight innings in June. And then the, the wheels just fell off. 13 inning, uh, should be 13 earned runs in nine and a third innings in July, 1254 ERA. And then 12 earned runs in five and two thirds so far here in August for 19.06 ERA. He's kind of been moved out of that closer role. Nick Martinez has kind of stepped in. The hater did get the save tonight because Martinez was unavailable. But you, know, you look at, this, it's not a velocity issue. Like he's still throwing, let's see, 97.3, which is actually up from last year. Slider is still very, very good, 56.5% whiff rate. You know, so you look, he's getting a little bit less whiffs on the sinker, but you look at it's not a velocity issue. What is it, Chris? It's, it's hard to, he's just getting hit a lot more. Maybe it's a command thing. The sinker's kind of heat map is a little bit higher than you'd probably want it on the sinker. Barrel rate has doubled this year up to 13.8%. You know, hard hit rate is 35.6, which is a lot higher than he has been the last couple of years. I don't know. What are you, what are you doing with, with uh, Josh Hader right now, Chris? Obviously, he's, he's a closer, so they don't have quite as much value in dynasty leagues as opposed to redraft leagues. But are you holding? Are, are you worried? Is he got bounced back? Where are you at on Hader? Uh, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't worried because the fluctuation of how we see closers just go in and out. And, you know, Hader was the safest bet preseason. And then we see this. And, you know, interestingly enough, he got brought into a safe situation today and he executed it, you know, one strikeout, one hit over the inning. So he, I just don't know what to make. I'm like, it's got to be a bit of a confidence thing at this point. He needs to get that confidence back. But we saw this with Edwin Diaz in, what was that, 2019 when he just had a yeah. horrific season. He had like a five-plus ERA. I'm going to go pull it up just to confirm it was 2019. And it was. He had a 5.59 ERA and a 138 whip. But then he's bounced back and been one of the best closers in baseball since. So I do think we see this from Josh Hader probably. I'm not particularly worried. I've read and heard a couple people talk about it could be a potential thing where he's tipping a bit. Like, you know, a lot of hater success is built on his like, you know, release point and like deception. And if that he's lost that little bit of edge, then it's reasonable to think that he's easier to hit. So I'm interested to see how he bounces back. I'm willing to give him a chance. I mean, I wouldn't complain if he's discounted in redraft leagues next year. But for the rest of this season in Dynasty Leagues, like I just have no clue. Like you have to hold on in Dynasty League and just hope for the best. But in a redraft league, like I don't know. Like I, I didn't cut him in like 15 teams, but I benched him. 
And now I'm just down on save, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> yeah, that, that has to sting. Yeah, I, I think you got to hold him, obviously. Nobody's really want to trade for him right now. And you'd be selling for 80 cents on the dollar if you do. But you, you got to wonder, you know, obviously he, he had a child. And there was, you know, from what I heard, it was a medical emergency uh, with that. So obviously maybe that's weighing on him because the, the kind of the switch was flipped on his season and his production right around that time back in, was it mid-June or so? So you got to wonder if that's weighing on him as well. So. Maybe the rest of this year, you talk up to a lost kind of second half of the year, and maybe you can get him for a good little discount in next year's drafts. And so I think he's still a top five reliever. Would you still have him top five for fantasy relievers right now? Yeah, uh, long term, yes. Maybe yeah. not rest of the season, but long term, definitely. Yeah, I think I have him there as well. But good one to close out the show on. That's going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at AirCross04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fancy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?